What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research at PGM. Today we've got Sophia Duffy. Sophia is an assistant professor of small business plan at the American College. Sophia, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me again. Hey, Sophia, you know, we should let our audience know that you are, in fact, a small business owner. Your family owns a small business that has been successful during the recent pandemic. And, and what is that business? Remind us. Well, my husband owns a law firm and it is dealing mostly with divorces and custody, which an unfortunate side effect of the pandemic is that many, many familial issues have come to bear in this pandemic, people being forced to be close together. And unfortunately, that just doesn't pan out for a lot of people, but that has resulted as a side effect in divorce attorneys really raking it in. So (laughs) I guess that is a learning experience for us, for sure. Yes, many, many spouses have realized that they uh, they actually don't want to spend 24 hours together (laughs) with each other for some reason. So that is correct. That that worked out very well for your family. Okay, so let's talk about some of the issues that small business owners face when they have a big chunk of their family's assets held within this thing. What is peculiar about small business assets that is different from traditional investment portfolios? I was just reading a podcast about how small business owners need to recognize that maybe their baby is a little bit uglier than a lot of people might view that business as. A lot of business owners might be overconfident about the value of that business. They might think that it's actually worth more than it actually is. So what do business owners need to keep in mind when it comes to recognizing the value of that asset? You sent me that article and I laughed. I agree, a lot of people don't realize, you know, they have an emotional attachment. So they don't realize how ugly their baby is. And they think that all of the sweat equity and the emotion and the turmoil that they've put into the business and the risks as well, they've put their own personal assets into starting this business are worth something to somebody else. And they you know, shockingly find out that they're not. So there's this common problem of overestimating the value of the business because of all that emotional attachment that goes along with it. Michael, but if I could just, before we even talk about valuing business, could I just put on my attorney hat for a moment and talk about liability issues, because I think that is often overlooked when people talk about investment strategies for business owners, but it's a critical element that really needs to be handled first. Definitely. I mean, businesses actually get sued. Businesses get sued all the time by lawyers such as myself. But one of the key elements is making sure that the business owner's assets are protected. So there's different forms of business ownership, and many of us are familiar with these. We've got sole proprietors, general partners, all sorts of business uh, LLCs, S-Corps, and many business owners struggle trying to determine what's the right formation for me. One of the key questions that they have to ask themselves is what is my liability risk? The biggest risk areas are for sole proprietors because they have unlimited liability, meaning if the business gets sued, their personal assets are also at risk, as well as general partners in a partnership. So if you have clients that have either of those business forms or they hold either of those titles, We want to see if we can convert them, for example, to an LLC, if you can be a single member LLC, not all states allow that, or if it's a general partner, if they can convert to a limited partnership. Some states require that limited partnerships must have a general partner. So in the partnership agreement, 
They could have a rotating general partner so that, you know, not one partner has risk all the time. And I've also seen an interesting formation where the general partner is actually a corporation and the other partners are just shareholders of the corporation. So that protects them from that liability question. It's only the corporation that's at risk and they just don't put a lot of assets into the corporation. So the corporation holds a general partner title, which can also help protect them. But that liability question, I think, really needs to be solved first before we even start thinking about what kind of investment strategies we have, because there's really no point in doing all of these strategies if all of them be wiped out with a lawsuit. And I know that one of the things that a business owner can do is think about how they can place assets in a structure that is not going to be subject to liability risk. What are some of those strategies? As I mentioned, the formation of the business, we want to try and get into a limited liability formation. So that would be an LLC, for example, or a limited partnership, or you can even convert to an S-corp, like a single shareholder S-corp, if that's feasible for the business. So the advisor needs to sit down with the client, figure out what all those tax implications are going to be if you know the state law allows certain types of formations and doesn't allow others for specific business types, and figure out what is the best fit for the client. And then the assets within the business will be separated from the business owner's personal assets. That's the beauty of the limited liability structure. Another alternative as well, if you have a sole proprietorship, for example, say you can't convert to anything else, it's not worth it to convert to an S-corp, and maybe the state doesn't allow single-member LLCs, is you can take personal assets and put them inside of trusts that have creditor protection. So, you know, making sure that those trust documents have something like a spendthrift clause, which prevents the assets inside the trust from being assigned to third parties, those assets will remain protected as long as they're in the trust. So that might be a good option for a business owner who's worried about getting sued. You can name family members and your spouse as beneficiaries of the trust so they have access to those assets if they need them. But again, as long as they stay in the trust, they're going to be protected from creditors. What about financial products like life insurance or annuities, can, can they be used as a form of creditor protection? Sure. So of course, life insurance can be used for many purposes within an estate. So after the business owner has passed, we can use that life insurance for any kind of creditor issues. The one thing to be careful about, though, is that if the life insurance is owned by the business owner, it's going to be taxable within the estate. We don't have to worry about that for the most part now with the federal estate tax because the exemption is over $11 million, right? However, when that exemption sunsets at the end of 2025, it's going to go to half of what it is. So you're going to end up somewhere in the 6 million to 6.5 million range. So if you've got life insurance that sort of kicks you into that $6 million bucket or will have life insurance that kicks the estate into the $6 million bucket, it's going to become taxable. So you might want to think about putting that life insurance in an islet, for example, so that it's not touched by estate tax. So that can be used for creditors as well as, you know, annuities. I know that both of you are big fans of annuitizing income. As long as it's owned as a personal asset of the business owner and that business owner has limited liability protection, it should be secure from creditors. So, Sophia, you know, thinking about larger portfolio issues, you know, how do you get people that own these businesses to not invest more in that industry or sector, right? Because you, you got to think they're going to say, hey, you know, I know this real well. I want to just invest my portfolio in, in manufacturing because I know it. Any thoughts on how to get people to not do that? That's a really interesting phenomenon. So you see a lot of times business owners investing in even competitors' businesses, right? Because it's what they know and what they're familiar with, or they invest in some kind of 
related industries. So somewhere along the supply chain, they've invested in these other types of industries, but it's all along the same chain. So if something happens to that industry, not only is their business going to be affected, but also this other related industry, right? This related business. So it ends up with a disastrous effect. But of course, they're just doing what they think that they know. So we want to try to motivate them to diversify in unrelated businesses, right? Or unrelated portfolios, so that if something does happen inside their business or to their sector, the other assets won't be affected. And another big thing with business owners is liquidity constraints, because typically a business is going to make up about 70 to 90% of that business owner's entire net worth for individuals that own one business. And that business is highly illiquid, right? It's not like we could just turn around and sell it for cash because it's not traded on the public market. So we have to focus then on cash, cash equivalents, highly liquid assets, so that there is liquidity for if something happens, emergency funds, whatever we need, that we can access the rest of that portfolio easily and we don't have to sell off parts of the business. But then, I mean, couldn't you make the argument that almost like if it's, you know, 80% plus of their wealth, that almost all of their non-business wealth should be in cash? Because if things go wrong, if the market goes poorly, the portfolio is down, business is down, they need to have that liquidity because if things were to happen, that has to kind of come as a backstop to fund the business. It should be, I mean, it could be cash, but or something that's highly convertible, right, to cash. Because the worst case scenario that could has and has happened is, If someone ends up going into bankruptcy for something, you could have a creditor that actually owns shares of their business, right? The creditor claims some shares of their business as part of fulfilling their their outstanding balance. And now you've got a creditor that's actually voting on certain things that happen in the business. That is really the worst case scenario that you want to try to avoid. So trying to keep as much liquidity in the rest of the portfolio as possible is probably the primary concern for diversification. That's a great point, Sophia. Let's take a break. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. Deliver financial planning for every person and every need through our Chartered Financial Consultant Education Program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu slash CHFC. Let's continue the conversation with Sophia where we left off. You mentioned that business owners often have an over-optimistic idea of the value of their business. What they found was that business equity, the performance is really not much better than the performance of the overall market, which is a bit of a surprise. It's a surprise because that business equity is so undiversified. So you have a huge idiosyncratic source of risk in their portfolio. My take is that many of these business owners like to be in control of their investment assets. They don't like the idea of handing their investments over to someone else to manage. They like to be able to manage it themselves. That can create some significant, I think, investment problems because they're holding, as David said, this big chunk of their portfolio in something that is highly undiversified, now they have to think about even selling a portion of their business to create a more diversified portfolio. And here you are, the financial advisor who doesn't know anything about their business, recommending that they take some wealth out of their business and put it into 
a traditional investment portfolio. And they have just seen the value of their business rise. That's why they're seeing a financial advisor, because their business has been successful. But of course, a lot of that success is simply random. A lot of people like to attribute it to their own amazing set of skills and abilities. But the reality is that in many cases, small business owners succeed because they're in the right place at the right time. And that also means that maybe in the next decade, they won't be in the right place and it may not be the right time for them to be holding that large chunk of their wealth in that single business. How do you get them to consider walking away from some of the value of that business or transferring it to somebody else? You know, I think that mentioning the risks that we just talked about with the concentrated positions and the importance of diversifying will speak to their craving for stability. Many business owners like having a stable business. They've seen the value of the business remain relatively stable over time. And just like you mentioned, that anxiety over the fluctuating balances and brokerage accounts, that's also something that to most business owners, they're going to want to stay away from. In fact, looking at the balances every day and seeing it go up and down is something that is going to make them very uncomfortable. So annuitizing a portion of their income so that they can have a stable income that maybe replaces some of the income that they would have gotten from the business in retirement may be a good way to raise that level of comfort that they're going to need in retirement because they're used to having a stable source of income. And in addition to that, just focusing on you know, that worst possible scenario, you don't want to, of course, do any fear mongering, but just showing them, you know, if something happens to the business, that's something that's entirely out of your control. Just like we mentioned with the pandemic, of course, many businesses went under and that was something that many people couldn't have predicted. And so that is something that you may be able to leverage that experience and share with them the importance of diversification. You know, that's a great point. I think that's a valuable tool for any advisor to have in their back pocket are examples of these businesses that have been very successful. I'm sure there were very, very many restaurants that were highly successful until the pandemic came. And all those owners could not see any sort of a scenario where all of a sudden they were not able to generate the same amount of profitability from that business. All of a sudden they got whacked by something completely out of left field. That's what idiosyncratic risk means. Now, in order to get rid of that, you're probably gonna have to think of ways of scaling back, of transferring ownership to somebody else. And what does that process look like and how difficult is that? Well, two very common strategies for business owners. The first would be to fully fund IRAs, right? Or SEP IRAs, self-employment IRAs so that they can have some assets that are completely separated from the business, hopefully aren't going to be impacted by anything that the business is impacted by. And then the other common, another common strategy for businesses is to invest in real estate, if that's, of course, not the business they're already in. Buying the building that the business is in is very common. That way they can own that building and then use it for rental income after they've already exited the business. So they still own the building, but then they can rent it back to whoever took over the business, or if the business moves, they can rent it out to other businesses. And that just creates a nice separate stream of income for them in retirement. Sophia, how do you find that balance between, you know, setting money aside to fund your retirement, maybe in your 401k area, whatever, and then also having that kind of cash flow and money available to fund the business in case you need it? That's a great question. I know we've talked a lot right now about diverting assets away from the business and putting them into other diversified or more secure streams of income. The balance though, and the thing we need to watch out for is 
going back to this pandemic issue and the uncertainty is you have to make sure there's enough reinvestment in the business infrastructure so that success can be repeated, right? If you have a great year, it doesn't necessarily mean every year is going to be a great year. And if you do have a great year and you get double the number of clients, for example, do you have the staff to support that number of clients adequately? Do you have enough customer service reps? Whatever it is that you need, just because, again, we did it this year doesn't mean we can do it again next year without the proper infrastructure. So business owners really need to take steps to make sure do we have the right resources, secure that first so we can make sure that success can be repeated and then take some assets and start diversifying. And it's never going to be a black and white answer, right? There's not a magic number that we want to hit. And all of a sudden we can start throwing money into retirement or the other way around, right? You just have to sort of take an analysis and revisit those financial statements at least every quarter to see how we're doing. If we start seeing any negative trends, then make sure we're trying to correct those trends. And then the other part also is something called normalizing the financial statements. Normalizing is when you take your financials and you strip out any outliers. So did we have a really good year this year because of the pandemic? You want to strip that out, right? And see what would our year have looked like if it wasn't the pandemic? Or did we have higher costs this year because of the pandemic? Strip that out and say, what would our costs have been if we didn't have it? That will give you a more realistic picture of what your annual profit and income will be. And then you can make a more realistic prediction on what we actually need to structure the business. What kind of reinvestment do we need? And then it's really just a balancing game from that point on. It's never going to be something that you can just set it and forget it and walk away. You will always have to come back and make minor adjustments. And again, I would recommend doing that at least every quarter. So I guess the bottom line is that it's important for business owners to think about how they're going to eventually pull the value out of the business that they've created. And that's going to mean trying to find someone to take over the business. Are there recommendations that a financial advisor can make to a business owner to increase the value of that business, to make it easier to transition, to give them some sort of an exit plan? Yes. Great question. The first thing is taking a look at those financial statements right? And making sure that we can replicate any success over at least a five to seven year period. I know that's a long time horizon, but a person who's willing to step in and buy a business like a key employee, any informed purchaser is going to be looking for that recurring level of income, right? Or that recurring measure of success. Nobody wants to buy a business that was only successful last year if it wasn't profitable for the five years preceding that. And any kind of succession plan really should start at least five years before the person intends to retire. Five years is a very short timeline. So really, you want to start talking about it 10 or seven years before retirement. And as far as who the business should be transferred to, many times businesses may be sold to a key employee. You could also find employees from competing businesses. For example, many law firms are sold to associates from law firms who are looking to leave their current law firm and open their own practice, right? So essentially what they're buying is the book of business of the retiring attorney, and then they open up their own firm. And so that's a very common practice among law firms that they can do that. So you may look to competing entities and maybe, you know, poach some key employees from those entities who are looking to go off on their own. And then the other, you know, common transfer strategy is just transfer to family members. You can either do that as a sale, or you can just start to gift them business shares, you know, shares of the business or member ownership interests from an LLC over time. And so that will help, you know, if you structure that over a seven-year time frame, for example, that is an added benefit because that 
individual who's going to take over the business will start to assume more and more responsibility and more and more ownership so that by the time they actually take over complete ownership of the business, they're primed and ready to run it. But how could anybody possibly run the business as well as I can? And that's a problem I think a lot of business owners have is that they have to recognize that the business needs to go on without their input. They can't be the sole source of value. Otherwise, when they leave, what is the value of the business? So imagining a path forward for your business where you can pass something that has value along to somebody else. That's a big part of the exit planning process. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me again. And I'm Michael Finca. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast. I'm David Blanchett. See you later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 